Greetings. This is the next message in our series on the Ten Commandments. Um, do not give false witness against your neighbor. Let me start by reading the Ten Commandments, and then we'll talk about this, the Ninth Commandment. In Exodus 20, after God um, had rescued the people of Israel from Egypt, and they had come through the Red Sea, and the enemies were drowned in the sea, they came to the mountain, and God demonstrated himself in power and smoke and thunder on the mountain. And it says that God spoke all these words with his own voice. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but, on, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land Yahweh your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his female, male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your law. Thank you most of all that while we have lost it all, while we've failed to keep your law, while we are totally sinners, we are depraved and every part of our lives is impacted by our rebellious choice of sin. We thank you that in spite of that lost condition and our inability to keep your law, you loved us and you sent Jesus to live perfect life and fulfill all righteousness and uh, complete the law, obey the law, fulfill the law. And so Jesus dies as a perfect sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And so now that we have trusted in his work and not our own, we benefit from his righteousness. And, and so now we have a perfect standing before you, just as if we were in Christ, just as if we had never broken your law, just as though we had kept your law. And so you are approved of us, not just because you love us, but because we are righteous in your eyes through the Lord Jesus. So I pray that you would help us today as we study to learn how to apply your word. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, as is my custom, I want to try to answer these five questions in this session. Do you see the beauty of this commandment? Um, from a literary standpoint, how does it fit in with the other Ten Commandments? 
What does it mean? How do you and I tend to fail it? How does Jesus fulfill it? And then what do we do now that we are, uh, now that we are Jesus's followers, his children that have been redeemed and are in righteous in your eyes, how do we now fulfill this law that is good and perfect, even though we are not experientially able to keep it perfectly yet? So the command this time is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And so I had a few observations about the beauty of this particular command and how it fits with the rest of them. First of all, I want to say that if you translated it rather woodenly in a real stiff word order way, it says, you shall not reply against your neighbor testimony false or testimony that is false. And so this is a response to a question. You shall not reply. The word, um, you shall not give false testimony. It's not a voluntary thing. It's a response to a request from a judge or a jury or some sort of an oath-taking thing. And when we're in a courtroom situation, you're not supposed to respond with something that's not true. And especially if that untruth affects your neighbor. And so this commandment is, by definition, um, a relational commandment. It's not just a matter of you or I being truth tellers, which is important enough. But what the Bible is telling us is that whether or not we are truth tellers speaks a lot about how we relate to our neighbor as whether or not we love them as ourselves. It is a wrong thing to lie against your neighbor. So that's a, an important thing to understand. <clears throat> the other thing I wanted to point out is that this is a step from the highest transcendent commands down to the innermost person. Again, I've noted that the Ten Commandments progress from you shall have no other gods before me to you shall not have any images that would diminish God's ultimate reality as the uncreated one. You should not misuse his name. His reputation matters. You're supposed to honor his day. He rested because he was satisfied with his work. So we should rest and be satisfied with our work satisfied in the Lord Jesus with our work. And then um, we're supposed to honor our mother and father as representatives. And so we go from God, the most high, moving down. God has given our parents to us as, as representatives of him. And so that comes down. And the next commandment is do not murder. So that's a relationship to other people. It's a little lower. Um, do not break covenant. Do not commit adultery. So it's the seventh commandment. And the Eighth Commandment is do not steal. And so we're supposed to honor the possessions of other people. And so now we're on this Ninth Commandment, do not bear false witness. And so we've been talking about God, his person, his image, his name, his day, his representatives, other human beings in his image, the importance of keeping covenant, the importance of respecting property and stewardship. And now we're being commanded to respect the truth the way people think. We are responsible for whether or not we tell our neighbor the way it really is. If we know that it's a certain way and we lie and tell it a different way, we are harming our neighbor because we're causing them to see life or to think something about life that just simply isn't true. We are we're lying. And so it's an interesting thing we're supposed to honor his day, his um, his, his representatives in our lives, other human beings born created in his image, 
are adulterous. We were supposed to honor our, his relationship, our covenants, our possessions, and the truth, the way things work, the view of the world. And then finally, the 10th commandment, do not covet in your inside. Do not want something that even if nobody else can see it. And so there's, it's an interesting step and it's a legitimate step. And it helps me understand what it's about when we think about the fact that truth is in that continuum from all of the things that come from God, his image, his commandments, his functions, his, his, his um, relationships and covenants and his stewardship and his reality. This is a command to not violate God's reality. The other thing is that this sort of wraps up a small section that have to do directly with human relationships. We're not supposed to kill other people. I guess before that, to honor our mother and father, that's a relationship on earth. So the fifth commandment, honor your mother and father, then do not kill, do not break covenant, do not steal, do not take people's stewardship. So these are all have to do with horizontal relationships. And this one rounds it out, do not lie about or lie to one another. And so this finishes a section of four or five commands specifically that pertain to our relationships with other human beings. So the first two or three, maybe even four commandments have to do with honoring God, our relationship with God. And the next four have to do with, the next four or five have to do with our relationships with other people. Okay, so that answers the question about the beauty. The next question has us have is what does it mean? What does this commandment mean? And so my first answer was, would be that it assumes a neighbor. There's, there's not really a way to break this commandment without another person being involved. If you were um, in a courtroom and you're being asked to testify as to whether or not your neighbor did something or did not do something, the whole commandment assumes the, co the context of another person listening another people listening and other people trying to decide what is true and what is not true and certainly in a command in a courtroom situation um, harm is at stake right somebody could receive a penalty or have to pay a debt or or be punished if your truth if what you say leads to that and or they could be exonerated and set free if your word said that and so whether or not you speak the truth in that life and death consequence kind of situation is very, very important. And so this commandment is highly relational. This is not an individual thing. I guess I would even argue that you probably can't break this commandment in a vacuum all by yourself. If you're in a room all by yourself, you could say things that weren't true all day long and it wouldn't be breaking this commandment ultimately. Although I do think it's wrong to lie to yourself or to lie to God, but the point here is, is that you need another person in order for this commandment to be kept or broken. And again, it's focusing on not testifying in court, something that is false. And to do so, to, to give false testimony, to lie, is against your neighbor. It causes your neighbor to view the world incorrectly, to view their victim or their, the assailant incorrectly, and to have consequences in their lives when other people view things incorrectly. If, if, you, um, if I testify that my neighbor stole my uh, cucumbers from my garden and that's not true, then there's a lot of things that I've broken. I've, done so, I've, I've cast my neighbor's reputation in error. I've, I've hurt him. 
I've caused other people to think about him in a way that's not pleasant, that's not true or accurate. And, um, and whatever really happened to my cucumbers is not ever being known. And so the point is, is that this, this whole process of lying in a courtroom or in a under testimony situation is foundationally evil. And it's a way of hating or loving our neighbor based on whether we tell the truth or not. And also, I want to say that it's wrong to cause your neighbor to live according to that which is not true. So even if um, it wasn't a courtroom situation of who stole my cucumbers, if it was more along the line of saying, hey, these cucumbers are, um, are poisonous, and so you should never eat a, a poisonous cucumber, and my neighbor believes me, then I'm causing my neighbor to live in a way where they would never try cucumbers. They would be robbed of the privilege of tasting that good food because somebody had told them that it was poison when in fact it was not. You see, when I, when I say something that's not true, I can cause other people to live in a different way. If I say there's never any mosquitoes in the Upper Peninsula, then uh, if I just say, hey, I know for sure there's never any mosquitoes there, and then you go to the Upper Peninsula and you get eaten, by, eaten alive by mosquitoes, in the middle of July, you your life has been impacted by the fact that I told you something that wasn't true and it caused you not to pack your bug spray and it caused you to be um, impacted. How much greater would it be if I were to lie about big things like whether or not um, God was true or whether or not Jesus really lived or whether or not uh, Jesus rose from the dead? If that's not true, and I would tell you that it was, then I would be causing you to live or potentially influencing you to live according to something that was not true. And you could stake your whole life on it. You know, I could, um, if I told you that Jesus rose from the dead and that wasn't true, you might be so persuaded by that truth that you would even be willing to die for Jesus. And that would be a foolish thing for you to do if Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. But if he did raise from the dead, and that is true, and I tell you that truth, and it influences your life, and then that's one of the most righteous, loving things I could ever do. You see, the point is, is that some things, most things, really boil down to being very, very significant. And so when we are not honest, when we do not tell the truth, we cause our neighbor, we cause our loved ones, we cause our family and friends to, to operate in a way that is broken. And so it causes hurt and mistrust and, and broken feelings and and, uh, and the inability to be sure what's going to happen next. And, and uh, when, we, uh, when we know a person who's prone towards not telling the truth, then it breaks down all kinds of relational confidences and trust. And so we don't know whether anything's going to be true. So it's really a social sin to steal or to, um, to, tell it, to steal the truth, to lie from or to another person. Okay. So I wanted to ask some specific questions. How do we, as human beings and as even believers, how do we tend to fail in this, in this particular area? And I want to say that there's probably four ways at least, there's probably hundreds of ways, but when we, when we lie in court under oath, if we were to deceive the legal system, when we lie to another person, so we tell somebody else something, did you know that this happened? Or did you know this about them? And we exaggerate the truth or we, we lie and deceive another person. Or when we lie to ourselves, 
you know, that would be a, a bad thing to do too, to lie to ourselves and uh, to tell ourselves, nobody likes me, I'm just no good. And if that's not true, we're lying to ourselves and persuading ourselves to live a certain way. Or when we try to lie to God, here God, this is all I, this is what I sold the property for. And you tell every people, all the people, this is what I sold the property for. In real life, I put some of the money in the bank and kept some myself. It was, it was, it was their money to choose to do with what they wanted. But when Ananias and Sapphira tried to lie to the Holy Spirit, it cost them their lives. And so these are ways that we can fail to keep what God wants us to do. So then the next question I have is, how does Jesus fulfill it? What does Jesus do to fulfill this commandment? And so um, the first thing I have is that Jesus always spoke the truth. This is really kind of a remarkable thing when you think about it, to consider the fact that Jesus always, always, always spoke the truth. He never exaggerated. He never lied. He never bent the truth. He always spoke the truth. There was a, one case um, in, the, in John chapter 5 where he, Jesus gave him this answer. Very truly, I tell you, or truly, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily. It's the word truth is in there. And he says, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. And then a few verses down, he says, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Look at Jesus is saying it again. I'm telling you the truth. My words can help you cross from death to life. This is a life or death situation. If you believe my words, if you believe what I say, that I'm the one who came, that I'm the one who came to pay for your sins, and that I, if you trust him who sent me, that's my Father in heaven, then you can be saved and trust from death to life. And then he says, the next verse, very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And so Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, I'm going to say, rise up, and we'll rise up at the last day. So Jesus always spoke the truth. It's a comfort to know that there's one person that you can always, always trust who has no motivation to lie, has no means in his character through which he can, can lie. He's always telling us the truth. And if he didn't know the answer, he would tell us he didn't know the answer. He wouldn't make it up. But this truth teller, this great truthful person, Jesus, also always knows the answer. <laughs> so Jesus always spoke, speaks the truth. You know, the other thing that's interesting is that Jesus is the truth. He's not just the speaker of the truth. His whole life is the truth. He says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's a very narrow and uh, a restrictive point of view. It's not very tolerant of other religions. It's very exclusive. It's, a, it's offensively exclusive. And yet Jesus tells us the truth. And he says he's the way to God. But he's, he himself is also the truth. When we trust Jesus and imitate him, we are pursuing and understanding the truth. And Jesus is the life. And that's how we come to the Father. So Jesus is the truth. And then I wanted to point out that this this truthness of Jesus is really quite in stark contrast to the enemy. Satan is not honest about anything, actually. Look what Jesus says. He said, you belong to his enemies. He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and they wanted to murder Jesus. He says, and not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. You see, Satan has no truth. He's the father of lies, Jesus said. When he lies, he speaks his native language for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan cannot speak the truth. He always twists. He always breaks God's law. He always lies. You'll not surely die, he told Eve. Jesus, you don't need to wait for God. You can turn the stones into bread. He'll, he'll protect you from falling. He'll, he'll not let your foot hit the stone. You can, you can have everything if you worship me and bypass the cross. Satan always, always lies. He would say, God doesn't love you enough to save you. You're too wicked. You're too far gone. Or you don't need Jesus to save you. You're a good person. You're better than the next guy. Don't be so worried about it. God's not picky. He's not righteous and holy like that. He's loving and he'll forgive anything. You don't need to believe in Jesus. You just keep doing a good job. You're, you're way better than those people at church. And so he wants you to not trust Jesus. He wants you to not trust Jesus that you need Jesus. He wants you to think you don't need Jesus. But then if he say, if you think you do need Jesus, then they'll say in the line, say, you're too bad. You're too awful. Jesus could never love you. He's never that good. And even as a believer, Satan would pour lies into our minds to say that what we were doing is a failure, that we're not doing what God wants us to do. We're not worthy of his love and that you should just be depressed because God doesn't care for you. You see, Satan is the liar and the father of lies. And again, as Jesus says, there's not holy truth. There is no truth in him. And so as much as it's true that Satan is a liar, Jesus is exactly the opposite. He is in stark contrast. There is no greater contrast than between Satan and Jesus. Jesus is all good, all holy, and all true. And Satan is all evil and all deception. And thankfully, Jesus is self-existent and God and in power of it all, the king of the universe. And Satan is only a creature and he has already been defeated and his days are numbered. I also want to point out that Jesus is strongly countercultural. Jesus is not the way the world is. Our world doesn't care about the truth or our world doesn't think that anybody can know the truth or even Pilate when he was interviewing Jesus, when he was uh, interrogating Jesus, he says, what is truth anyway? We, how can anybody know the truth? And so the world has always been skeptical about the truth, but it's countercultural because the culture embraces the lie. Look what the Bible says. In the end times, the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor, splendor of his coming. So there's a lawless one coming and Jesus is going to overthrow him. But this coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. And so this lawless one will be accepted by the whole world and the whole culture of our world will accept him. And this is, he'll be like Satan. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. See, there'll be a great deception, a great lie. And all of culture will accept it and say, this is the new truth. This is the way we finally have it. And yet it's a lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. You see, wickedness itself deceives those who are perishing. Oh, this is the fun life. This is the good life. You were really free. 
pass me some more cocaine. We're free, we're free. And all we're doing is imprisoning ourselves and the, the drugs take over our lives and reduce our humanity and control us. So we're not free at all. And yet these wicked things deceive us when we're perishing. And then look, it says, they, they perish, these people who follow this deceiver, they perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. You see, the world is not friendly to the truth. It doesn't like the truth. And when people speak the truth, like Stephen, when he tried to tell the truth to the to the people of his day, they they, they gnashed their teeth at him and, and, and stoned him. They hated him. They couldn't stand it. And when Jesus talks to these, these his enemies in, in John 8, he says, what am I saying that's not true? What can you do to convict me of sin? But you hate me because you're of the father, the devil. And so this world is not a friend to truth and a culture will not accept the truth. It hates the truth. It loves to surround itself with comfortable lies that are deceiving, but it's the wickedness and it serves the way of Satan. So I'm just trying to say that Jesus fulfills the truth, but this is part of what makes Jesus so unique in the world. He is in stark contrast to the enemy, and the enemy is the prince of the power of this world. And so Jesus is in stark contrast. He is countercultural. For you and I to be truth tellers and only truth tellers, and when we don't know what's going on to be quiet, that is countercultural. We should not lie. There's never any means or end that justifies the means of lying. So that's how Jesus fulfills the commandment to not bear false witness. He always tells the truth. So what do you and I do now? We're believers. We want to follow Jesus. We want to make a difference in the world. What do we want to do now? And, and I want to say, first of all, that we should know the truth and be set free. Jesus makes it very clear. They said, well, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free in John 8. If we understand what really is true, if we can get the way it really is, if we understand the way life really is, that God is the creator, we are created in his image, we fell into sin, but God loves us and sent Jesus to rescue us from our sins, and that rescue is complete and full by grace alone. And so we did not earn it, so we have confidence that we cannot lose it, and we have all of God's blessing in our lives, if we understand that truth and then to understand that now having come into Jesus and being united with him, we are now um, filled with the Holy Spirit. We have God's own spirit at work in our hearts, showing us the truth and convicting us of lies and telling us what's true. And then we can understand our hearts that we can serve God with confidence and joy. That's all true. And the more we understand that, the less we believe lies, the freer we are. And so the truth is what sets us free. The Son will set us free through his truth. So we need to know the truth. Always be a truth seeker, a truth speaker. But also relationally, we need to understand that this is a relational command. And so Ephesians tells us to put off falsehood and speak truthfully to our neighbor. Therefore, Paul says, each of you must put off falsehood. Don't be deceiving and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we are all members of one body. Look at the argument here. The reason I need to speak truthfully to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is because we're all members of one body. And if any part of our body is operating, 
under some assumption or some understanding that is not in fact true that I'm leading you to be inefficient and ineffective. You, you would be wasting your time to pursue something that wasn't true. You would be wasting your time to pursue some thoughts that weren't true. And so we should always speak truthfully to your neighbor because we're members of one body. It would be harmful for me to lie to myself. If I don't, if I don't believe, if I don't know that the iron is hot and I touch it, I burn my hand. But if I know that it's hot and I understand the truth, I can avoid being burnt by it. It will stop me from being injured. But if somebody says, it's not hot, it's not hot, and then I burn my hand, then we're doubly injured because not only have I been burnt as a member of the body, but you have participated as a liar to lead me astray. And so we should speak truthfully to each other. We can't afford to waste time misleading each other for some other odd reason. We need to know the truth, and the truth will help us all be free. And so this is a we thing, not a me thing. You and I need to speak the truth and seek the truth together. And then another thing the Bible says is that love is characterized as one who rejoices in the truth. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, when God, when Paul describes what love is, he says, one of the characteristics is that love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. And so when we're loving to one another, we want to know what's true and celebrate that truth and rejoice in it. We don't like to spread rumors that aren't true or understandings that are false. We want to be in the light. We want to rejoice in the light. There's nothing to fear when we're in the light. And so we want the truth. We want to be truth speakers and truth seekers. And so another thing that's relational is that we're supposed to speak the truth in love. It's not just truth always, just truth alone. It's truth wrapped in love. Look at this in Ephesians 4. We will no longer be infants tossed and back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. We don't want to be thrown back and forth by the culture and the lies that are all around us and all those things, those deceitful schemes. We want to know the truth. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. So we as a church will grow together. And if we need to hear the truth, and if we can speak the truth with love to another person, to another person in our body of believers, then we're all going to grow up into Christ. That's why I'm trying to speak to you today is telling you the truth in love. You know, I can tell you the truth, and, and that's better than lying. But I could also tell you the truth with a spirit that was not loving. I didn't care about you. I could tell you the truth in a harsh way, in a, um, even maybe in an unloving way. And that would still be better than lies. You would need to know the truth. But there's something about having the truth and love. Because love is motivated by wanting what's best for the other person. It's not always just a warm feeling. It's trying to do what's best for the other person. So if you're off base, and I tell you that you're off base, if I say, get off base, you stupid person, that's telling you the truth without love. But I say, Honey, you're off base. You need to get back on the base. Don't you see the error? We need you on base. And so we speak the truth in love, and it's the way that we can do it. You know, love without the truth isn't love at all, right? If you, if you knew that a person was in danger, but you just didn't want to make them feel bad, so you just say, oh, you're fine, you're fine. That's loving sounding, but it's not loving at all unless you tell the truth. We need to say, you're in danger. And I want you to get out of this dangerous spot. And so love tells the truth. And the truth told in love is what can build us up as a church.
And so what we should do as a people is we should know the truth in order to be set free. We should put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another because we're all members of one body. We cannot afford to be wasting our time chasing fantasies, chasing lies. We need to remember that when we love each other, we're rejoicing in the truth. We're not looking for bad reports. We're looking for the truth. And when we find the truth and we seek the truth and speak the truth, we need to speak it in love in a way that causes other believers to be built up. Well, I hope that that's encouraging to you and it sure is encouraging to me to remember that Jesus is the truth all the time. And as one of his followers, I can be a truth seeker and a truth speaker. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your blessings to us. Help us to be truth seekers like you are and always to know what the truth is. We need to know the truth because it sets us free. Help us to not believe the lies of the enemy. Help us to recognize those as lies and turn away from them. And Father, help us to be speakers of the truth, but not just ones who can say the words truthfully, that we can say it with the right spirit, with a spirit of love. You know why we can do that? Because Jesus, you loved us so much. When we were lying and hating you, you bore all of our sin on the cross, even before we said we'd believe in you. You did it because you knew that Jesus, that, that uh, your Father would give us to you. And so you died for us. And then by your grace now, Father, we, we believe in Jesus. And so Jesus speaks the truth to us and gives us love and life. And so we, because of this wonderful work that you've done for us, we seek to be, to be truth speakers for other people as well. May we all be built up together in you, the Lord Jesus. And we'll thank you in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about our church, online resources, and in-person services, our website is the best place to check, wpbiblefellowship.org. In the meantime, keep your eyes on Jesus and may you grow in his grace.